Welcome to the Podcast Podcast. My name is Don. And I'm Scott. And uh, after your travelings out into cowboy land, uh-huh. uh, we are back to work on a little bit more Hosea. And I got to be a cowboy. It was great. Yeah! So we, at least during the, the recording of this podcast, um, COVID-19 was a, was a thing and everything was shut down. And so like... Once the school year got over, my wife and I were like, well, why are we even in Cincinnati? Let's go. And so a couple of days later, we packed up the van, went to Wyoming. Um, we've got some family that, that works on, on a fairly large ranch out there. And, and then we went to Yellowstone and no one was there either. And it was, it was, it was kind of nice. Nice. It was kind of nice. So I um, got to wrestle a cow. Really, I, I did. Um, so I really got to be a cowboy. And So and you traded in uh, COVID for mad cow. Absolutely. Gotcha. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so that was, that was kind of fun, at least to say that I've, I've branded a cow before. What? Um, and, and so I just really, every, all the real cowboys actually kind of did the tackling and I just had to hold him down. Um, <laughs> Here, hold this gigantic... How much does a cow weigh? You know, a big cow, I don't know, but this was like a calf, which still, those things are strong. Like, I, I'm, I, see, I feel like that'd be a little more spunk. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, there were two of us sitting on them and, and we're still trying to like hold them down while they're doing like giving them shots and all these things and so i was like when you brand them is it like now run and get out of the way because that cow's about to get angry no when you brand him brand him he then moves a whole lot and you're still trying to hold him down oh. because someone else brands them there's two people holding him down um you then have uh then they give them a, their shots um they brand them they cut off their they castrate the bull. Castrate the bull. <laughs> um, and That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, and it was so it was it was interesting. I mean, and you you got like people that were really lassoing them, and like it's crazy because they didn't just go for one leg; they lassoed both legs at the same time. I was like, how did you just do that? Like it is crazy, but it was fun. Well, meanwhile in Ohio, um, I chased some squirrels out of the garden. Okay. Um, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now that I'm back in Ohio, where I'm trying to figure out, okay, what are we gonna do now? Um, we we went to a, a store to get a pool. Mm-hmm. So um, one of those like three foot deep by ten foot across, not those giant ones, but something that like at least the bigger kids, the teenager, and that could like fit into. Yeah. So we lined up at the store. We went early. Like the store opened at nine, and we got there at eight thirty, thinking like, oh yeah, we'll be good. Uh, or maybe we got there like 8.45. Still not enough time. We got there, there's 25 people in line. Uh-huh. And so as we're walking up, like when they finally open the doors, the lady then comes out and goes, there's only eight pools. Oh, <laughs> no. Like, uh. So we were like, oh, I guess we're not getting a pool. Uh. So we got a slip and slide and it destroyed my backyard. Oh, yay. But whatever. Yeah, we, I've been looking for a canoe. Cause like, I've been looking for a kayak. Yeah, because the the uh, the places around here they'll do kayaks. Mm. They just won't do canoes because you can't be uh, six feet away from but each your other. Family, I, I don't know. I'm just telling you. My neighbor's got a canoe. And then you have to be 13 to even go out there now, which was never a rule either. 13 so, years old. Mm-hmm. I've I know in Michigan, you can be on a jet ski. Well, this wasn't. But you, you don't have. If you're 16, you just get to void out the boater safety course. I think all you have to do is take a boater safety course in Michigan. Well, this wasn't the rule until COVID. Oh. So, like, little kids were allowed to be on canoes until then. So, Wait, I'm like, so what if they're accompanied by a parent? Nope. Nope. Why? I don't know. 
And maybe it's because they're not doing canoes. They're only doing kayaks. And so maybe you have to be 13 to kayak. But I don't know. So I've been looking for a canoe so that I can teach my girls how to canoe. And we've been biking and... We found all the so we sold all the little bikes. Okay. Um, so everybody out there, if you're unaware, I have five children. Um, so that means at any given time, I had 37 bikes. Uh, so we had a garage sale, and I listed all these bikes, bike frames. Um, the other parts, I used to BMX, so I had a plethora of old bike frames from either friends gave them to me or back from when I was a kid, and I just had them like hanging in my garage. And I was like, you know what? We never built them, so we're gonna sell them. We got all those. All of our kids now, except for our eight-year-old, have a hybrid bike of some kind. Nice. They're, the smallest right now is 24 inches. The rest are 26 or 29. <laughs> so it's nice to not have a garage full of like bikes. Now, we do have a, a crappy Huffy that we're keeping for parts. Okay. But other than that, whew, it's nice. Nice. So nice. We can all bike ride together. Yeah, we've been, we've been biking a lot. We did make reservations at a pool, and you have to make them like a week ahead of time because you have to get in there. Oh, um, so like we made it for today and it was like, it's been like 80 plus degrees here except oh, for yeah, today. It's cold today. And it was like 65 degrees when we went and we're like, oh. really, <laughs> really the one day. Um, so we tr- attempted swimming today and it did not go well because it was overcast. So no sun. It was 60 some degrees. I'm just, I'm just, the funny part is that when we release this podcast, it will probably be that temperature on a regular basis. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Be like, oh my goodness! I was getting the, you know, the, the turkey decorations up. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is it will be snowing. Yeah, uh, with the way 2020's been, you know, who knows? Yeah. Uh, nothing goes gets pat or yeah, nothing surprises me at this point. No, I was, um, I always talk to people, and I think I might have said it last podcast, but like people f- are freaking out. Like, like we're the only generations in history that have like had hard times Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay you got to put yourself into this world war one happens hundreds of thousands of people lose their lives there are battles where thirty thousand people die okay a battle (laughs) not even the whole war all right you come home everyone's happy prohibition the great depression the spanish flu World War Two. <laughs> you think that generation wasn't like, what is going uh-huh. on? It's like you got this like, well, World War Two year swath of hell you, going on. You stopped because Vietnam goes right there too. Well, like, you get Korean War then uh-huh. Vietnam, right? But I was just think, like, but yeah, but that would be like us. Like we had like um, Contra when we were born, yeah, the Iran conflicts. Then we had Desert Storm when we were what ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, you know whatever I was in school. Yeah, yeah. And then we had 9-11. Mm-hmm. So we had, there's like a little spacing between that. Right. But could you imagine if it was like just one crazy after another That's where true. your brain would be? Like you would definitely be maybe a harder individual because mm-hmm. you would have been a little more tested. Right. Um, and we're sitting here like, you, you know, war now a lot of times is either fought with like computers mm-hmm. or it's fought with drones right? Um, or it's happening quote unquote over there. So we mm-hmm. don't see the effects of it here. Um, so I'm not trying to comfort people by saying like, Oh, it's fine. But I'm just saying like, man, you compare us to the quote unquote greatest generation and man, we ain't seen nothing. No, nope. Like we're like three months into a, a pandemic that like, you know, whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Like, and, and then, like, they, what's that guy from North Korea? He gets all like, the U.S. sucks, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then they're like, and then the, the, you know, China's like, well, we'll spy on you. And, like, you're, it's your fault we have a virus. And we're like, what? Yeah. Whatever. That's nothing compared, <laughs> compared to what. <laughs> There's a generation of people that, like, saw the effects of two nuclear bombs dropped. Mm-hmm. Like, I have not. <laughs> no. I don't <laughs> so, really want to. Yeah, I'm hoping I never yeah. do, right? Uh-huh. So that's just like, I don't know. But, you know, times are probably even tough if you're, like, back in the time of Hosea. Oh, yes. As people were coming to attack Israel, and you're about to be carried off into foreign lands. Yeah, and I think somewhere in there it talks about, you know, it's you'd rather have a mountain fall on your head than to go through what they're going through, right? Yeah, you know, like, is it this part? Or did we already read that? Oh, no, no, that's... I thought it was Isaiah. Isn't that Isaiah, the mountains made the... Whoa... To those who the, call out for the mountains to fall on them, um, they shall say to the end, the mountains cover us, and to the hills fall on us. Wait, am I mixing everything up? Hosea ten eight. Did you study this week? How many colors do you see on that paper? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't see any paper, so. Uh, oh, oh yeah, I even got the New Testament, <laughs> Luke twenty three thirty and Revelation. Ah, wait, that's spoilers. Yeah, oops, oops. Um, yeah, okay. So we're going New Testament Woo. today. Yeah. Jesus talks about Hosea. So let's get started. Yeah. Um, with um, we never we once again never discussed. Y- you how know far we we, we never do. Up. We just yeah. we just might as well just go with it. All right. Um, I'm going to go my mic, and it's going to make everybody at home sad. Okay. Do we want to go verse by verse, or um, a few verses? Yeah, let's start out with verse one on its own because it is kind of yeah. Because some of the, I feel like this one might actually work well verse by verse. Yeah. Um, minus a couple where there's a couple verses that that made no sense. All right. Um, so with that, um, chapter ten, verse one. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Yeah, so the first uh, problem there I have with the ESV is that it uses such a positive-sounding uh, word there, luxuriant, when... So what is a better translation? Uh, what, did you hit this in your commentary? Actually, I did not know, so I'm uh, curious. Man, I, I, I love really am curious. Have, you always get, like, the cool pastoral commentaries, and uh-huh. I always get, like, these guys that are like, well, in the Hebrew. <laughs> um, it's an Arabic uh, cognate to show... I can't read my own handwriting. Um, to show as positive, uh, so the word there, whatever luxuriant is mm-hmm. in Arabic, the it's a positive connotation. Okay. Um, but the Old Testament uniformly uses this uh, in the negative, and it would actually be a destructive vine. Oh. So Israel is a destructive vine that yields its fruit. So it's destructive, and its fruit is going out to cause more damage. And you see that with the, the next part of the verse. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. And these are altars and pillars to Baal. Okay. So it's a destructive vine. So it's basically like uh, poison ivy. It's going out and it's uh, being destructive to whatever it, you know, um, we think of poison ivy as something that we get on our skin and we get itchy and we get, you know, blisters or uh, rashes and stuff like that. We're like, oh, bad poison ivy. But if you ever watch poison ivy choke out a tree, what it does is it wraps around the tree, it continues to thrive, and then the tree no longer thrives because it basically suffocates it. Okay. So in here, Israel is a 
destructive vine that's spreading out its destructiveness throughout the kingdom. Huh. So I thought that was kind of... And once again, I love the ESV. I use it for almost everything all the time. Did, did it say what translation would be would be good to use in this situation? Uh, no, you know what? I could probably see if other ones uh, say anything about it really quick. So the commentaries, while he's looking at that, the commentaries I'm using is the Minor Prophets 1 by Elizabeth Actmeyer. Um, and I'm not confident that I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, so I'm just going to call her Liz or Elizabeth. Um, The other commentary that I've been using was the IVP Bible Background Commentary, um, Old Testament version. Uh, They also have a New Testament version of that, but this is the Old Testament version. And this time, I actually used another book as well, and it is called... I think it's called... To the Cross by Christopher Wright. What yeah. a great, so great To man. the Cross by Christopher Wright, which if you listen to our Deuteronomy podcast, um, he kind of helped out a lot with that. Um, and To the Cross um, to the Cross by Christopher Wright actually um, looks at the Passover through the crucifixion and resurrection, not from the Old Testament, or not from the New Testament, but looks at it from the Old Testament. Um, and so it's actually kind of a fun little read if you, you ever get a chance to go ahead and do that. Um, so back to Don, did you kind of find out a, yeah, a I'm better going, translation? Or? I'm going through a couple here. Um, the NIV says a spreading vine, which to me sounds kind of neutral. Uh, the KGV says a uh, empty vine, which to me doesn't make any sense because in the next line he says, "The more his fruit increased." <laughs> yeah. Um, the message is of train wreck. Rest in peace, Eugene Peterson. Um, it says it was once a lush vine, bountiful in grapes. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's like dead space. I was trying to see if there's any other mainline. <clears throat> I was trying to get the NASB because that's kind of a KGV update. Uh, so okay, so, so yeah, I, NASB is the same as ESV. So I guess just thinking like Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. So the more that its fruit increased, so it's seen as a so right there though those lines seem like a positive thing, isn't it? Looking at Israel and its prosperity, I say it could it could definitely have that. I was thinking I just made fun of Eugene Peterson, but I could see how that would fit in. You were once a lush vine that was right great in. You know, the more you spread, the worse you got. Because because we see like Yahweh, he's provided for his people for so long. Um, we see that it yields fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. So we do see Israel being prosperous during this time. Um, unfortunately, the more altars he built as the country improved, those altars were built towards Baal, not mm-hmm. towards Yahweh. And so you've got Baal getting credit once again. Well, I'm once again uh, Common continue uh, a common theme throughout Hosea is um, Yahweh's providing um, and Baal's getting credit, and basically Israel is giving God Yahweh the the middle finger. Uh, I think that once again, now that I'm thinking about it as well, um, Hosea has a lot of anomalies, mm-hmm. uh, and to take a uh, Arabic saying that is usually positive and to use it in Hosea 
actually would probably not be a surprise. Okay. With as many like textual oddities as we have seen so far. Right. Because we, I think there's a couple other spots in here where we're like, this only appears here right. in the Old Testament, or this only appears twice in the Old Testament, once in Hosea. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of. So that wouldn't surprise me, I guess. Right. I just, I'm just a negative person. I don't know. Yeah. You know. So, so with that, um, we see Yahweh providing, giving prosperity. Um, however, once again, um, Baal getting credit and them giving credit by building altars. So then this moves us to 10.2. Um, their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Um, well, so much for your pillars, Israel, right? Yeah. Um, the other, once again, in the, in the Hebrew, the heart is smooth is what that uh, saying actually is. And that was a figure of speech or an idiom that would mean that you cannot trust that person. Oh, they got a smooth heart. So is that like, you know, like a smooth, like someone that can talk? Like, what is, yeah. the, what is that terminology where? Like a, like a slick tongue. Yeah. Kind of, um, yeah. yeah uh-huh. I know what you're thinking, they but can, I can't put words to it. <laughs> right. I can't think of what it is either. But Fast talker? Fast, uh, yeah. yeah. Like that, a car salesman or a bull pooper <laughs> right you can talk your way out of anything yeah, yeah but i guess not be trusted you know yeah um someone that can either the heart is smooth yeah that is kind of the heart is false i mean it means mm-hmm. the same thing but yeah it's just a cool idiom um i don't have much for two much more for two three nice. yep go ahead um for actually an, why don't you go three through six three through six because i think that was more of a natural break there all right um for now they will say we have no king for we do not fear the Lord and a king what could he do for us or what okay let me try that again yeah, for now ahead. we will say we have no king for we do not fear the Lord and a king what could he do for us they utter mere words with empty oaths they make covenants so judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field the inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth Haven, its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests, those who rejoiced over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Wonderful. <laughs> well, um, what you got? Uh, the, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. Uh Scholars are split. The Are they re- referring to we have no king as in God? Um, the fact that the ESV translates it with the lower... Ca- I told you my phone did that. Um, Callan thinks he's at the beach. Okay, cool. Uh, I wish um, I was at the beach. You know? Uh-huh. Um, the, uh, if I don't hit that, it's going to make that sound again. Guys, if you get an iPhone update, um, just be careful because... Oh, they're grandmas. Um, it will make tones even when you put on vibrate. <laughs> um, so back to Hosea. Uh, the fact that the ESV translates it with a lowercase k indicates that they're referring to Hosea. It's basically, you ain't my boss. Really? Um, however, other commentators and other translators say, no, they're referring to God. Okay. Um, as you see within the next line, for we do not fear the Lord. We have no king. Hmm. But So yeah, it just depends on how you... Um, oh, sorry, not Hosea, Hosea, the king. Okay. Sorry, I can't read my own handwriting. Right. Well, which ultimately, either way, is still a bad thing and is still right. them turning away. It's still an example of, of choosing to not be obedient. So they are not being obedient to the Lord and they are choosing to, to go a different direction other than Yahweh um, and their worship towards him. 
Um, and once again, giving Baal credit for, for ultimately what Yahweh is doing. Yeah, I think that phrase, for we do not fear the Lord, that you have the capital the capital case, L-O-R-D, mm-hmm. which is the translation of the, what's the word? Is that a tetra, tetragram? I don't know. It's what we pronounce as Yahweh. Okay. Um, but that whenever you see that in the Bible, whenever you see that in the scriptures, that's what that is overriding um, because there's a fear of, misprinting it or saying it wrong mm-hmm. or spelling it wrong and there's a reverence and the fact that we don't want to use the lord's name in vain that most modern translations will translate that as that capital case l-o-r-d so whenever you see that if you have your bible at home hosea 10:3, you'll see exactly what i'm talking about that is basically the translation for yahweh so we don't have a uh screw up in the writing and also so if there's a screw up in the printing or etc it doesn't it doesn't use the Lord's name in vain. Okay. It's a reverence. Yep. Um, with judgment, when you're talking about poisonous weeds in a mm. plowed, you're, you're talking specifically about judgment um, coming through. Um, that was in what, verse 4? Um, so judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furs of the field. Um, so we once again, we, we see this as judgment. Um, why? Because once again, their lack of loyalty and obedience, um, towards God, their empty words, um, these once again are bringing them to this place of, of judgment, um, because of the rejection of Yahweh of, of God. And these, these oaths and covenants are political and legal leaning languages. Mm-hmm. So once again, it's trying to put the weight of what they're doing on there. It's not just like, oh, I promise you that I'll you know pick you up after work and they forgot. This is like a legal binding covenant slash contract that they have made that they are saying they utter mere words with empty contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like... A, you know, you have a warranty on something and you take it in and they won't honor it because they don't really have to because they can get out of, you know, it's kind of something like that. Right, right. Or, yeah, we, we made a contract, but we, we're not, we don't plan to abide by it. And then the picture here is a very active, purposeful rejection of God. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout almost all of Hosea, we don't see... You know, like an accidental or I'm going to sneakily choose to be disobedient. We have a picture here of very blatant. Yeah. So we're a society that would hide our sin. Like we'd be we'd be a little more sneaky. And then if we got found out, then we get all proud about it. Like, you can't judge me. Only God can judge Mm me. You know, but but is it if you look at our society in general, our society as a whole shifting back, I would say is a full reject like. It is more uncommon to be a Christian. Like, there, there is a very blatant dislike and mm. a choice to be disobedient in our current society and culture of God. Oh, God tells me I can't do this. I don't care. Um, this is how I'm going to choose to live anyway. You even see many, and I'm going to put in quotes, Christians who say, I believe in God and I go to church. I realize that the Bible says that this is true, but I don't care. Yeah. Um, and so you see it, especially in, in the, I'm going to use the word religious, and I, and I hate doing that. You, you see it a lot in, in re- religion as well. A lot of people that reject the idea of religion. Um, Oddly enough, people seem to reject Christianity more so than other religions. Um, and you we're, see a we're very... The, I, I rarely make a defense of culture. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but here I go making a defensive Uh-oh. culture. Um, Christianity is the name given to that plus evangelicalism is the name given to an abusive structure that has reigned hard in this country in many times false ways. True. Um, So I think that is why people scorn it harder Mm -hmm. um, because there's been a history, um, and I'm not... I would say that the history gets really bad in the 50s and 60s, but it comes to a peak in the 80s and 90s um, where you start seeing the, you know, the TBN embezzlements, cash, Kenneth Copeland having two jets and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The Joel Osteen style, uh, name it, claim it, you know, kind of stuff that's going on. Right. Um, I think that's where you start to see uh, or that's why you have started to really see a scorn towards Christianity because mm. Christianity is put into that's those guys. Got it. Um, as opposed to the, you know, the the Christopher Wrights and the, you know, um, like my pastor. <laughs> you know, right. like, yeah, yeah. You, you know, the guys that are really living it and really uh, seeking God and obeying Him and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, we get that. We get dumped on because of the sins of the prior right generations. But I, and I that makes sense. I mean, I, so, I, that that does make sense. Um, not a defense of what no. they've done, but a I can understand. But uh, but I would even say, and I'm, I'm trying to be careful um, with not really coming too straight out and bringing up very specific blatant issues and maybe I just should um, but when you're talking about some of the issues in the church that are going on um, you know whatever um, so well we can we can even say like churches seem to be aligning themselves more with political causes than with Jesus Christ right right but but there's still a bla- there is a blatant sometimes choosing of I'm going to be disobedient because I don't agree with what the Bible says or I don't agree with right. um, I'm just going to say homosexuality like there are churches and there are people who blatantly say although I, I realize that this is what the Bible says I'm going to choose not to go ahead and be obedient um, and as I say that I'm, I, I'm not being judgmental on the lifestyle um, or, or, or not a sin because you're going to get us our first email <laughs> yes, um, because I, I think we all have our sin to deal with, um, and, and I believe that that's one of them, um, but I think there's plenty of others, and, and so if that is something that you are struggling with, um, that is a sin and that is a choice of obedience or disobedience, and, and I've heard many people in various cir- circumstances saying, well... I realize that that God says this, and here's what the Bible says. But I'm going to choose to be a disobedient, and that's not the only one. You have plenty of other sin yeah. that that belongs in that. But but they choose to continue to live their life of sin because I can say the same for heterosexuals that choose to still blatantly live a life of sin as a rejection. They they just want to live that way, so they reject what what the Bible and what Scripture has to say about these cir- certain circumstances. Um, so, so I guess it's wrong for me to even put that into to just a one thing because there's plenty of sin and, and that goes. Well, that, um, 
uh, so I I do long runs on the weekends, right. and that gives me more time to think, and that's dangerous. Um, I'm a fan of a band uh, called named Killswitch Engage, and for the longest time, Killswitch Engage has been the uh, undercover Christian band because the lead singer uh, claimed Christianity, and the lyrics were very spiritual in nature, and you know you could definitely get the the undertones of the Christian influence in the, in the script, in the, uh, lyrics, I almost said in the scriptures, um, right. I'm not putting them that high. Uh, and they came out with this little quarantine EP and I was just kind of listening to it and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And then I was like kind of catching some of the lyrics. It's, it's kind of a post hardcore band. So there's a lot of screaming. So, you know, it's not as blatant as to what's being said. And I was like, Man, this really sounds like somebody that might be wrestling with doubts more so than somebody that's or somebody that's shedding parts of their religious uh, overcoat, right? Uh, kind of thing. So I, of course, looked into it to try and see what the lyrics were and listened to an interview. And the lead singer has basically said that he doesn't understand how um, a good God could send a homosexual to hell for who they loved, mm-hmm. and. My first thing was like, oh, okay, so you've left us too. Um, but then when I really sat there and thought about uh, what he was saying is people tend to think of themselves and others as a one-issue sinner. Because, and I'm going to sound like I'm preaching here, but... God doesn't send people to hell based on one sin that you've chosen to make your identity. And I find that so because if you were to take your sins and start to stack them up, like you would find that you probably are one claiming the wrong one is your identity. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to set out a pie chart and say, okay, um, I'm an adulterer. So why would God send me to hell because I'm an adulterer? Uh, you know, like may- maybe this is a person that like looks at pornography or a person who's had an affair or a person that like, you know, isn't married but is sleeping with everybody or whatever it happens to be like, I'm a fornicator, an adulterer, that's my thing. So why would God send me to hell just because I like to, you know, have sex or whatever it happens to right. be. And there goes the not safe for work tag for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you really look at it, there's probably, <clears throat> if you looked at their pie chart, if you could physically do that, there's liar, there's pride, there's stealing, there's the rejection of God, blasphemy, um, selfishness. <laughs> like you would put all this, it's not that God looks and says, all right, let's look at the identities of these people and send them to hell based on their identities. It's that we are walking in full rejection of God and we are a complete culmination of all of our sins, not just one. So so really it's so really that earlier comment I've made is, is very, very not fair because really it comes down to a continual rejection of God as a continual choice to purposely sin and not deal with it and try try to be obedient where none of us will ever be fully obedient till christ comes back but it is that basically every time we sin it's it's a rejection of god but at the same time 
trying to choose obedience, which these guys seem to be not wanting to right. do at all, is one of the major issues going on here. Is that kind of maybe what we see going on in this part of Hosea then? Yeah, I think so. I, like to kind of just round it out a little bit more like... Mm. Because I, I can I can say that there's been in here where... Sure, I, I should have bounced my eyes, but that sexual immorality, I, I made a well, conscious... Yeah, you made it. You, you, we struggle with sin. I mean, that's the right. infamous. Is it Piper, be killing sin or sin will be killing you? Or did he rip that off from like some Puritan? Was that like John Owen and he stole it? You know, I don't know. Kind of thing. Um, I, I think of, <laughs> there's a pastor who I will not recommend, and I won't say his name because he has definitely fallen off the wagon. But one time I heard a, a guy preaching, um, and he was very charismatic. But uh, he uh, at one point said, like, we talk about um, all these sins. Pornography is a sin. We talk about people doing this and that as a sin or whatever. He's like, but a lot of the pastors that are saying these things go home and drink gravy. He's like, which is, gluttony is also a sin. Right. Like, that was his point. Like, they go home and they're, they're eating and, like, we are hesitant to say, well, you're going to hell because you're a glutton. Right. Like we're, we we look at the only for the quote unquote like big sins to be our our guide as to how we're going to judge ourselves or others. Mm-hmm. So yeah, somebody may struggle with gluttony. Somebody may struggle with pornography. Somebody may struggle with you know like Phil. You might be a compulsive liar. You might be a thief. Whatever your thing is, um, you probably have multiple things. Whatever your things are. Um, you should be struggling with those. You should be repenting. You should be asking God to help you not do those. You should be taking practical steps towards sanctification. You should be, quote-unquote, preaching the gospel to yourself when you're confronted in those situations. Like, Lord, right now I I know that like I'm being controlled by lust and these thoughts are coming in, so I need you to get me out of this. I know that you died to uh, free me from this, and I should not be living in this in that moment but we should also be doing the same thing when somebody says where have you been and you're tempted to lie or when you're getting ready to gossip and you're tempted to say hey did you hear what so-and-so did like we should be preaching the gospel to ourselves in those situations even though they seem minor or acceptable sins they're not so would you say the difference between Regardless of the sin, homosexual, uh, sexual morality, lying, stealing, blah 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 blah, is is ultimately the difference between uh, what's going on here in Hosea and what a follower of Yahweh that is seeking obedience mm-hmm. trying to do is is maybe the key word be struggle, yeah. where if you're choosing to just blatantly give the middle finger and do it anyway, that's very different than struggling through a sin and desiring to try and be obedient. Is that kind of what yeah, I hear yeah, you saying? Yeah, because right here they're saying, we have no king, we do not fear the Lord. So they're raising their flag, right? whatever that happens to be, whether it's, whether it's their rainbow flag or whether it's their... Uh, piracy flag or their gluttony flag they're they're raising that up and saying this is who we are i don't fear you right. i'm this that's yeah that's really what they're saying starting in verse three okay and then when they when they pay lip service i definitely would equate that to they make empty oaths like oh yeah man god will get you to it god will get you through it like mm-hmm. oh yeah man praise be to god you know and then they walk out and they say well i don't really serve the lord i do whatever i want right so yeah, it's that I think I think it's definitely a really good way to look at it to see it. It's when you're, you know, you're celebrating your sin, whatever that happens to be. Right. Okay. 
I'm the world's greatest bank robber. Look at me. You know, I guess not. You know, with all the masks, I'm actually surprised bank robberies have not gone up. You know, I've, I thought about that because there was a store um, down close to where I work. It's actually a gas station slash mini mart convenience store thing. Mm-hmm. And on their sign, it tells you, like, if it's cold, like you have to take, if you have a mask covering your face, you have to take it off before you enter. Huh. I bet that, ma- I haven't been to work in three months. Right. <laughs> but I bet that sign's gone. Oh, yeah. And before you guys worry about me, you should send me money. I mean, I've been working from home and still getting a check, but, you know, you can send it anyway. Right. I'm on summer break, which... <laughs> Must be nice, teacher. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing to do. <laughs> anyway, so let's go to verse 10. Um, I'm going to read chapter 10, uh, verse 7 through 8. I was like, oh, we're going to skip a bunch? <laughs> no. You, you say go to verse 10. So. Oh, eight's the best one. Um, verse 7, Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Avon, the son of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills fall on us. So before we get to the New Testament, the word twig there is another one. Um, in the Vulgate, and the Targum, and some other ancient uh, translations, the word is actually foam. Okay. Uh, it's what? Foam. Foam, okay. Like the foam on the water. Oh, like yeah. Like it just basically dissipates and... Samaria's king shall perish like foam on the water or like okay. a twig. It's basically being pulled away, dragged out. It's going to get swallowed up and it's going to be short-lived. And ultimately it's talking about they will be left without their land, without their king, without their cult, without their god, without their mm-hmm. altars, without their blah, blah, blah. Um, they will be left desolate and desperate. Um, and ultimately when it gets down to... Um, they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. They are in such a bad place, um, in such a desolate situation, that they would just rather have a mountain cover them and fall on them um, than to continue to have to suffer through um, the desperate, horrible situation that they're in. And so this is kind of where they're at, where they went from being um, a land full of inheritance, full of prosperity, full of fertility, the very thing that they were looking to bail for, to basically being in a place of utter destruction. Um, and She said you know, utter, which is funny because of all the calf imagery. No, sorry, go on. Uh, that is funny. Yeah, we'll get to some calf stuff in a minute. <laughs> and I meant to do that. No, yeah. I didn't. Um, and then we get into some fun stuff. I mean, not that this isn't all, okay, it's not really that fun. Um, well, what they're going through isn't cool at all. But um, Jesus uh, likes to, to talk about Hosea or quotes Hosea. Do you want to take us there? Uh, yeah, so Luke uh, 2330, um, we're talking about basically uh, uh, the crucifixion. So we're kind of, actually, I could probably start out at 26. I'd say 26 actually would be a good place to start. Yeah, I'll do 26 through 31. Um, this, so this is during the crucifixion of Jesus. So this is after Pilate, right? Yeah. Yes. This is right after he's... Uh, so he's he's carrying his cross, walking yeah. to... Um, Golgotha or yeah. Calvera, which uh, is skull, mm-hmm. um, which I think the Calvary, Calvera, Calvera might be Portuguese or Spanish for skull. So Calvary would make sense for the romantic language leap from the Latin to... Huh. 
I should have taken Latin. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and as they, le- oh, sorry, starting in 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And they followed, sorry, and there followed him a great multitude of people. This is why you read these. <laughs> a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to Je- turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that have never nursed. They will be, sorry, then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. And if they do these things, the wood is green. when the wood is green, what happens when it is dry? So that's kind of a prophecy saying it's going to get harder. Yeah. And, and, it, and right now it's the wood is green, meaning like if you, ha- it's still growing, it's thriving. What's going to happen when that dries up? And, and really we, we also see kind of a prediction of the, the destruction of the temple, um, which will happen about 40 years after the death of Jesus. So I think it's AD 70 where, where yep. we see the, the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, and actually in Hosea, this in context is also dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, so we see where Jesus kind of utilizes this Hosea passage in, in 10.8 where, where they're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem uses these exact words from Hosea 10.8 um, and once again, in a sense, predicts the the destruction of Jerusalem and um, even kind of even takes it further. Yeah. Are you reading Revelation or do you want me to? Uh, you can. Do, do you have it pulled up? Yeah. So I'll let you go for it. So Revelation 6, I'm going to start in 12 and I'll just go through the end of that chapter. And um, one thing about Revelation, and we have not covered a lot of it, uh, in this podcast. Now, when we get to some of the other minor prophets, we may come across, has Amos got it? Um, uh, apocalyptic? I think all of them have, uh, uh, many of them I have mean, Ezekiel is like pure apocalyptic. Um, yeah. But basically, it's a lot of symbolism and some would say code. I'm hesitant to say code because that makes people pull out charts and graphs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a lot of symbolism uh, and uh, fantastic descriptions. So revelation written in that apocalyptic style. So you got a new Testament book uh, written probably in the 90 AD range. Some people put it at mm-hmm. um, hearkening back to something written four to 500 years before Christ was born. Yep. So this is Revelation 6, 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the moon became like blood. Now we all know that. I mean, there were seven blood moons and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, uh, we've heard that. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit and shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that was being rolled up and every mountain and island were removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come and who can stand it? So to sum this up, when Jesus returns, his wrath is so great 
that once again, people would rather have mountains crush them than to have to face his wrath. Yep. I, I, I like the way Christopher Wright actually concu- put, put these together um, in the book To the Cross. He says, So you see, Jesus is saying, even at the moment of his own impending death, that there is worse to come. And that worse moment is not just the near future, which would be the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, mm. but the ultimate future, the final judgment itself. In response, either we find shelter under the cross on which Jesus bore God's judgment for us, or we will find no shelter from the judgment of God when we stand before him on the last day. And so we see... he's good. He's so good. He is. (laughs) We have three major moments. We have the destruction of, of Jerusalem in the Old Testament. We see where Jesus once again addresses that at the time of the cross. And now we see that in Revelation. And, and, and you're, so you're talking about three major important events in Scripture that, that all, in a sense, point to, to, to Christ, um, to Jesus. And that does not say a lot of great things about um, judgment and the wrath if we choose not to accept um, and live in obedience to Jesus. One thing that I find interesting in the Revelation piece is that he talks about the generals and the wealthy and the affluent, basically saying, none of this stuff is going to stop me or protect me from the wrath of Jesus who is there. From So they run from all that and hide in the mountains with those who are poor. Mm-hmm. They, they basically realize that all that accumulation of protection that comes through money and power and influence is going to do absolutely nothing for them when they have to face judgment. Right, And that's something that like, especially right now, I mean, you read every other headline and it's like, you know, during this lockdown, billionaires became 14% richer or, you know, uh, you hear about companies that are thriving while small ones are being laid to waste from financial turmoil or whatever. But like in reality, that's where they find their security. But when push comes to shove that those finances are not going to protect them. No, no whatsoever. Well, it's so even, we, we also need to stop looking to that to be our protection. Absolutely. And being jealous when we don't have it. Well, because they're going to have more to lose in the day of judgment and yeah. they're going to have more to lose than, than, than those that are not in that position. I mean, so no one is safe um, in this scenario. Um, and again, part of, part of the picture that is, that is actually here is there's that picture of um, those women who might be barren and not have kids. Well, they're not going to have anybody necessarily to feed and to comfort and to watch out and and. That's a cat. Oh, that's a cat. I was like, what was that? I saw the tail. Um, Sorry, a cat ran past the basement window here and it like darkened the room. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, those that have are also going to be those who are the ones that are going to experience that great loss as well um, during this. It's one thing to go through that. It's another to see your family, children go through that. Right. Along with them. So... Yeah, but no, I think Christopher Wright did a great job in, in his... I did, if you don't find the cover in the cross. Verbiage, that's, yeah. That's so, so John Stott-like. Mm-hmm. And Chris, if you guys don't know, Christopher J.H. Wright and John Stott were contemporaries. Uh, Christopher Wright was on his board. Actually, he, ran, he now runs the company, or runs the... He does run the whole... He runs the whole organization that... I can't think what it's called. John Stott, it's... um. 
They changed the name of it too oh, did they? Well, after he help. died. It's um. Yeah. Uh, so if you're looking up a um, one of the hardest books to get through, um, because of the way it makes you think and the emotionality of it, uh, the Cross of Christ by John Stott, uh, is a wonderful, wonderful life changing, life altering book. Um, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend checking it out. Langham Partnership. Oh, um, what was it before? I think it was actually named after John Stott, which he did not want. Oh, uh, okay. And John Stott Ministries. Boring. And so he did not want his name to be like part of the ministry type thing, and so then they eventually changed the name. Um, and he currently is... Um, Christopher Wright. John Stott is currently Wright. in glory. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, he's chilling with God right now. Um, Unless you believe in soul sleep, then he's waiting for his chance. No, sorry. I don't want that way. Um, so Christopher Wright, about I could use a nap. <laughs> currently is the director of Langnam, Langnam Partnership, and they, they actually do um, a lot, which, um, man, he's got so many great books. I just read. Uh, John Stott, Christian Missions in the Modern World. Oh, I was talking about Christopher Wright, but oh, John I mean, Stott yeah, has some good Wright stuff, well, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, those are two solid Englishmen. Mm-hmm. Are they Anglican? They... I don't know what oh, they What's are. funny is I wrote a whole, back when I blogged, I wrote like a long piece on John Stott. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I should know this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was, it was also before John Stott passed away. I mean, so. Which yeah. hasn't been that long ago, has it? A handful of years, five years maybe. Okay. I read his last book. I got it. Have you read, read it? Mm-mm. Um. I think people feel he went too liberal because he's a environmental steward. Okay. Um, and he calls for environmental stewardship in the book. So I feel like people are like, oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, no, he's a smart man. He's, he makes great points. Uh, he does all the analogies of the hound to heaven. Okay. Um, like basically talking as though the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the whole Godhead, um, are the hounds that come and chase you down for salvation because they – sniff you out and rescue you kind of thing Mm -hmm. wonderful wonderful picture painting just highly readable i can't recommend stott's books enough i've got his uh bible comes alive acts that was a great book the book of acts um uh, incomparable christ what else do i got uh radical discipleship that was his last one gosh but yeah sorry And, yeah. and I actually go, I highly encourage Christopher Wright as well. Both of them. Oh, yeah, definitely. Theologically very sound, I think. Um, and I think do a very good job of bringing scripture to life um, in, in ways that are not just, I think they're deep enough to, to get a deeper understanding of scripture that you might not normally be able to, but also very practical in how it is that we can live those out um, in our daily life. Last thing I'll say about John Stott is I am not a cessationist, which means I believe that the gifts of the Spirit uh, are applicable and useful and happen today. Um, They did not cease. And John Stott, on the other hand, is a cessationist. And in his book, uh, Basic Christianity, he writes that he's a cessationist, but that he will not fault somebody who is not. And I was like, what a tender, loving fellow. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's not, because if you read John MacArthur, he's a complete, like, opposite of John Stott. I was going to say words that would not be good. Uh, I would have to repent for. Um, he's very uh, bold and brash against uh, continuationists, people that believe they still continue. He's, he's to the point of being mean about it. And John Stott was more like, you know what? 
evidence tells me doesn't happen, but I won't fault you for it. I, I was like, man, that's, that's, I can get behind you. Uh, basic Christianity, another good book. And that's a thin one. That's like 80 pages. I think I had to read that in Basic Bible Doctrines. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. that would make sense because it would fall in it. But you read John Stott at CCU? Uh, maybe. That's what, actually, I think my Acts Bible Comes Alive was there. <clears throat> our, our college was uh, Arminian, and John Stott is high Reformation Calvinism. I like no because yeah the, my basic so, bible doctrine teacher was very very calvinist who did you have i don't remember oh he was very like i had dorico's brother no i did not, not. the bald dorico the red-headed dorico i had a skinny old guy oh i had yeah i had red-headed dorico who i i got an a but i'm sure if he could he'd give me an f <laughs> yeah but i had evidence <laughs> I failed a Holy Spirit class because I'm also not a sensationalist. Yeah. And I think they were what the John MacArthur guy. I think they liked him because they were mean. That's interesting because John MacArthur is a hardcore Calvin too. Um, it is, it's interesting the things that they were willing to bend on if it supported their views. <laughs> I, I just knew they were very mean. I was like one person in a class of 16 or something, and all of them were were cessationalist except for me <laughs> and that man i did my research and and i i typed up utilized scripture everything but he's like you didn't tell me what i what I, I taught you in class so you fail Ouch. i yeah i made a case for the illumination of scripture by the holy spirit and uh i mean there was like red pen all over that paper. <laughs> but I, he still passed it because uh now both i know uh, we only got like a couple minutes left anyway, so... Uh, oh, shoot. I th- think we do need to finish the chapter though, right? Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and finish okay. it. I was at both Doricos, a lot of people were like, oh, they're hard, but I always found them hard but fair. Mm-hmm. So, um, I like them both. So, anyway, um, mm-hmm. so we're, we might run a little bit over. Apologize. I guess we had a couple tangents here. Yeah. Um, so, with that... It's been a while. I haven't seen you. We've got to talk I about know. it. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked for eight minutes at the beginning about COVID. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, you know, I, I thought we were out of, like, banter, but I guess that's not true. Never. Um, <laughs> so now we are to verse 9 through what? Um, 9 through 15, maybe? Yeah, uh, you might as well. All right. From the days of Gibeah, uh, you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? Ooh, just wait till we talk about that. When I please, I will discipline them, and nations shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck, but I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow, Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your uh, fallow ground. For it is that the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult, the, the tumult of war shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. As Shalman destroyed Beth Arbal, and the day of battle, mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel. Because of your great evil at dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. Wonderful. Well, that, that sounds painful. Yeah. Um, 
So Don earlier kind of made a, a calf joke when I said that would be utterly destruction or something like that. Um, here's where we have his reference and what he's talking about. You want to kind of explain a little bit? Well, there's other um, parts of the chapter that also point to the calf as well. Um, but basically, Ephraim, once again, is that, what do you call it? Well, I guess before we get there, we kind of need to address... Oh, yeah, you said you, said you want to talk about nine. Oh, so. yeah, we need to talk about nine, don't yeah. we? Because that's oh. the judges stuff, isn't it? Um, so when we're talking about Gibeah here, um, we're talking about mostly Judges 19 through 21. Um, if in Judges 19 through 21, we, we kind of have where, um, oh, if I remember correctly, I was going to read it this morning. I totally forgot. Um, but, and so correct me when I, if I'm wrong, um, but in Judges 19, we, we basically have where, um, the they're bringing a visitor into the city um basically oh, they want to go ahead judges. and rape them uh rape them they he basically begs them not to gives them his concubine they basically so rape and yeah horribly rape um his concubine he this end, is a, and by the way, this is a Levite priest who should not have a concubine in the first place. He ends up cutting up the concubine and shipping him off to the 12 tribes of Israel. Am I correct in that? Uh, and, yeah, they cut her into 12 pieces and sent her to the 12, the directions of the lands of the 12 right. tribes. And basically explained what happened and everyone basically takes their wrath upon, I think, is it the, is it Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin? One of the tribes you that, that it, was in, I should have, I was going to read it this morning. I totally forgot. Uh, yeah, um, and cause it's been a couple weeks since we've met and we were planning on doing it a couple weeks ago. And so ultimately, um, you see where this is all in 20 and 21. You, you see where they're basically, um, taking action against the tribe of Benjamin because of what uh, the tribe of Benjamin had done to this concubine. And it's just not a pretty picture, and it gets fairly bloody. We, we've, out, um, we've often talked about doing Judges as a podcast, but we think it would have to be a separate stream. Right. <laughs> um, because stories like this are very graphic in nature. But yeah, it's a very disturbing story. That happens. Right. So when you're talking about from the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, O Israel. There, there they have continued. He is ultimately, and then shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah. You see God basically saying the situation that they're in is just as bad as the situation that we saw in Judges where um, this concubine had been raped and mistreated as horribly as it as she was cut up, split up, and then they basically take action and war against the tribe of Benjamin. Well, that's the picture that's kind of being depicted here. Um, it's basically one of Israel's really, 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 really low points. And God is basically saying, guess what? That's kind of where you're at right here. Yeah, well, and he says, from the days of Gibeah, you have sinned. There they have continued. Um, so it's also kind of like, a, it's almost like that was like the, that low point sparked a perma low point mm. with Israel. Um, it never really... I mean, you, because even if you look through the history, uh, you when you get to the anointing of Samuel as the first king of Israel, 
that's the last time Israel's united with Judah. Because um, after that, the factions start to split off and you get the house of Judah versus Israel when you get to the be- the ends of Saul and the beginning of David. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they basically... They basically start. They started at an incredibly low point, and you might think, "Oh, they peaked here." Well, they never really get. I mean, much higher. Saul right. was a dreadful king, um, and here they are again. Yeah. And so God's discipline will come in His timing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. It says uh, uh, in the commentary that you could say, "When I desire, I will discipline them." Mm-hmm. And in some, I mean, some kind of look at that where where it's starting to happen now with Assyria. Um, So God's discipline now is 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 when when I say now, sorry, I'm saying (laughs) back during this this time period of Hosea, um, where where you see Assyria really taking action against them um, with the destruction of Jerusalem and and them wanting the mountains and the hills to fall on their heads and kill them. Yeah, if you Um, if you remember before what the uh, Assyrians. Did to their prisoners was as horrific as what the Levite did to his concubine in many cases. Because it was not usually a quick death. They, right. they found great and, pride in torture, and um, and and a lot of times it was the psychological was that was just as much yeah. fun for them. Um, and I can think of at least for me, sometimes the psychological is worse than the actual event itself. But but the combining the two together. You did not want to be taken over by Assyria. We mentioned it before. They'd go to one city, cut off the heads of the men there, put them on a pole, and then march over to the next city and put the pole right outside the gates and be like, hey, pay us tribute, or this will be you. Um, And sometimes you pay them tribute, and they would still take volunteers uh, and torture them in some way and take them to the next city to to wage psychological warfare Mm -hmm. in the next city because they wanted a fresh set of heads or bodies or whatever they were they'd pierce you and lead you out of the city by different body parts so they might shove a you know a spike through your neck and lead you until you bled to death to the next city or you know all sorts of crazy disgusting stuff yep they would they would speak in the language of the people um so that the the people would hear how what was about to happen to them so hopefully they would revolt against the armies uh or plead with the king to pay him (laughs) So yeah, very very disgusting people. Right. So so this picture, even in just those couple of verses, not a pretty, not not a good place to be. Um, not something that you want to be talking much about. Right. So now we'll get into the calf, um, verse eleven. Yeah. So this is um, basically Ephraim is a term of endearment for Israel. Uh, it was a trained calf that loved to thresh, um, and I spared her fair neck. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. Uh, it was God's hope that Judah and Israel would be reunited. So they would be under the same yoke, working together. Um, they would work with that. We talked about Hesed, that steadfast love. They would continue to work together for what was greater. Um, but Israel would did not want to do that. Um, Israel wanted to be its own being. It did not want to be yoked with Judah. So Israel wanted to continue in that rebellion and not come back to uh, Judah to be part of Yahweh's people. And and as Ephraim being a trained calf, there's also that picture of obedience, that willingness to, to be obedient and to follow. Um, we see a, a picture that Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. So, so 
there was that time where they didn't have to be yoked um, because they were living obediently the way that God wanted them to. Um, when that so the the sparing their fair neck um, when you put the yoke on an animal one it forced them down and two it would wear rub and callus and dry out the the hair and the fur there so Ephraim was a trained calf uh, that had freedom it was like a showpiece it, it did not show signs of work and wear and stuff like that God spared the the neck um, and but now. He's saying that he, I have to put you in the yoke. So I have to take that non-disciplined calf and I have to discipline it and I have to put it in the yoke and I didn't want to. And and then there's there's a picture of freedom in choosing to be obedient. Um, it, it's not a confining picture. In fact, mm-hmm. actually, the direction they're going, because later on in verse 13 it says, you have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies because of this. And he's going to go on and basically say that the, now he needs to yoke Ephraim. We see where, where that dis- the, the very thing that... Um, the very fruit that you see happening in your society is because of of your disobedience, and because of that, now you do have to be yoked. Um, I know, along with the COVID nineteen, you also see racism and, and violent acts, and and a lot of injustice and hurt and things like that being brought out in society. Um, and and it, it's horrible the things that are going on, but at the same time. I think is due to our own sin um, that that is bringing us to this point, and so there's that that idea where a lot of people don't want to be obedient to the 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 ways of God, and yet we we see the the falling apart of our society right before our eyes, and I think this is the same picture that's going on. There's freedom in choosing to to live obediently and to love others, um, and we see when we choose not to, and and when our society is filled with injustice. When it's filled with hate, when it's filled with sin, we see where actually our very society falls apart, and um, it then needs to be yoked in order to to bring our society back to the way where where God wants it to be, but but ultimately where we want it to be as well. Um, if you go back to our Deuteronomy podcast, um, I think we see that over and over again, where these commands and these commands to be obedient comes to a society that works well for all people. And here we see where their very sin has brought them to this point and you no longer have that freedom of being unyoked. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so so recently I kind of kind of going back to, to maybe this example will work so I'm gonna I'm thinking out loud <laughs> so my daughter she loves music um, however um, I, I hope she doesn't become a music teacher like she wants to be but that's beside the point <laughs> I love her dearly she actually has other gifts that are much better but she she tries to drum um, to, to music and it's very nowhere near like on beat or anything like that she definitely takes after her daddy um, I can help her with that <laughs> I can't <laughs> um, and so she's like I just want to play what I want to play and I was like oh she likes jazz <laughs> <laughs> but I was like there's freedom in first being able to know what the beat is and to be able to follow mm. a beat then that's a great example once you can once you have the beat down you can go ahead and then be creative within that 
within that. And there you have music that you enjoy and that people can enjoy as well. And so there, there's this That's a great way to put rhythmic it. game that I have on the Switch, and she's horrible at it. But it's it, it teaches you <laughs> to, to follow the beat, and you're like, okay. And she's like, I just want to play what I want to play. And I was like, well, well, first of all, I said, in order to, to be able to play what you want to play, you got to have the, the basic foundation. And I said, obedience to God's commands are the same way. Once we find a way to be obedient to God's commands, God gives us a ton of freedom to enjoy life and enjoy the things around us. And I think in this same situation, when we're choosing to be obedient, we can be unyoked and have that freedom to go ahead and play all kinds of things. Um, But when we choose to not be obedient and we're just all over the place, we really find the destruction of, of our music and the destruction of our lives and our society. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the picture that we see going on here is that idea of being yoked where we had the freedom when we were choosing to be obedient, but now we're seeing our sin really mess up our lives and society as well. Right. Yeah, I'd agree. Did you, did you get her a metronome? No, not yet. Do you get her a metronome app? I'm just making her play this click, game right click, now. Click, Daddy, do click, I have to play the game click, again? Click. What, what's yes. the game? Oh, shoot. It's... It's a Japanese game. Oh, um, I won't make you try and pronounce it. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah. I just, um, and so as they go through, you hit the little drum beats. And so like, you know, yeah. Um, but you have to kind of get the beat to, to hit it on point. And yep. So I'm, I'm itching for my kids to like get into music. And so far they're all kind of like, eh. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I have six guitars. Somebody play with me. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> The dream someday where you play one and they play the harmony or the <laughs> right. I'm like, come on, man. Yep. I got. I actually. I had a. We need to end this. I got a. I had a, a Epiphone Les Paul that I traded for another acoustic. Mm-hmm. Thinking like, oh, now they don't have to plug in. We can play together. Nothing. Nothing. <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> I think I'm alone. You need rock band now. Ooh, that might get him into it. Actually, mm-hmm. I do have a kid that wants drums, and I'm like, you'd want that, wouldn't you? Dad wants yeah. drums, and he doesn't have them. Mm-hmm. See, that's at least a good excuse to get you a set of drums. That's what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Electronics set. Then, I, then they can put headphones on. I don't have to listen to them. Yeah, just make sure your wife doesn't listen to this episode, because uh, then she would see your, your scheming and me helping. We not, might not be allowed to do the podcast anymore. She's, she's still in Deuteronomy, so... Oh, because she is listening to it? Yeah, I got, I got her to... Man. I, I made a joke about it, and she's like, no, 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 I'm going to listen. So she's been going through Deuteronomy. She needs to call my wife and be like, hey, listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we talk a long time. I mean, we're at an hour and 10 minutes now. Oh, okay. So, you know. Yep. Whatever. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and uh, we have no apologies for this being long. No. Nope. So, all right, guys. All right. Next time. Bye. Talk to you later.